This is the Feminine Genius Podcast, a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. When she was younger, Regina Boyd noticed that many of her friends would go to her for advice or counsel. This sparked an interest in helping others, which led her to pursue a career in the areas of psychology, counseling, and therapy. Regina now is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a licensed mental health counselor and is the founder of her own private practice, Boyd Counseling Services. Through her work, Regina aims to impact the culture through strengthening relationships and bolstering love. In this episode, Regina and I talk about what drew her to the area of psychology, sharing her message in the digital space, and her desire to impact the culture around her through the work that she does. Hi, Regina. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm doing so, so well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Yes, at least as good as I can be <laughs> in the midst of all this. But yes, good. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the Feminine Genius Podcast. I was wondering if you could start by introducing yourself to our listeners and sharing a little bit of what you do right now. Yeah. So my name is Regina Boyd. I'm a marriage and family therapist and mental health counselor. At least here in the States, we have all different letters and acronyms that can mean different things, licensed professional counselor. And yeah, I work in private practice. I have my own practice. We work with couples, individuals, and teens, and just really a lot about relationships and trying to heal, find healing in relationships, strengthen them. Yeah. So that's a little bit about the work that I do. Awesome. And, you know, you alluded to this current time that we find ourselves in. I can only imagine that there is a lot of struggling and difficulty that folks are finding maybe both physically by maybe not being able to go outside, but also mentally and how all of this has been impacting all of us. Yeah, for sure. I feel like what I'm noticing is just anything people might've been experiencing pre-pandemic, it's, you know, the baselines are higher. Everything just feels a little bit more intense, a little bit more stressful a little more sad, just anything that you might have normally felt. It just has an extra layer or extra edge to it. So absolutely, I don't think anyone's going to get out of this impacted on some level, whether big or small or for better or for worse. Yeah. So I am excited to dive into that as well as some of the different areas of practice that you do during your day job and in your life and your work. But I was wondering maybe if we could start to frame this conversation by maybe sharing a little bit of your own faith journey and how that's come to play into the current work that you do. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of where I should begin. So my dad is Catholic. My mom is Baptist. And so growing up, they weren't on the same page about how they wanted to raise my brother and I. And so we just happened to move to Florida and they were looking for local schools and they just sort of agreed on a Catholic school, not because of the faith necessarily, but just because they were impressed with the school education wise. And, you know, thanks be to God was sort of 
sitting there in the pews, like witnessing all my friends going up to communion and stuff. And <laughs> I was in fourth grade at the time mm-hmm. and I'm like feeling a little left out. And I'm like, you know, what is this? And <laughs> like, I'm like, I want to receive communion, you know? I remember praying that prayer, you know, Lord, I'm not worthy. I would only say the word and um, just truly desiring that. So I had mentioned uh, to my parents that that's what I wanted to do. And they said, okay. And so they put my brother and I into the sacraments, you know, through the school there. Thanks be to God. And I would say it wasn't until high school that I had maybe a deeper conversion experience just an actual encounter with Jesus and really desiring closer relationship and deeper relationship with him. So we had a phenomenal youth group in high school. Um, We got lucky. We had two youth ministers instead of just one. We had two full-time youth ministers and they were incredible, um, very Eucharistic centered style retreats and just really put all of us in front of the Lord. And I remember uh, as a team, just sitting there, you know, I think I had some you know, spiritual experience on a retreat where I felt God's presence in a very real way. And so I was confident, you know, I'd always believed in God, so that wasn't an issue, but, you know, there was something different where I was actually having real internal dialogue with him in a new way, but it was something I kind of ignored, didn't really pay attention to it, didn't know, like it was a nice emotional retreat. And then I went on with my life, but I remember recognizing the change because riding with my friends in the car after that retreat you know, they start playing, you know, whatever popular music was at the time. And um, it wasn't the most clean music that we were listening to. (laughs) Um, And I remember feeling kind of a grating in that moment. Uh, It just was very jarring experience to go from the retreat to back in the car, riding home with my friends and like listening at me. It just didn't settle right with me. So there were things happening in my heart, but I didn't have a name for it. I didn't recognize it. And then one night, uh, one of the youth group nights, our one of our youth ministers is up there, you know, she's just talking and trying to appeal to us, asking us to live our lives for Christ. And she had been doing this for a while, but I remember telling God, like, I'm not ready yet. I still want to <laughs> have a little fun. And in general, I was, I was a little bit of a goody two-shoes. So it's not like I had this really like extreme lifestyle transformation or anything, <laughs> but uh <laughs> She's kind of preaching to us and I'm like, I'm not ready, God, and I can feel that tug. Then one day at youth group, she just says something along the lines of, what do you have to lose anyway? If you were to really commit and live your life for God, what do you have to lose anyway? If you lose your friends, were they really your friends in the first place? And something Mm -hmm. in that question just really flipped a switch for me. The light bulb went off and I thought, that's a good point. You're right. Um, My real friends are always going to be my friends. Um, they're not going to discard me or care about me making a different choice of how I want to live my life. They're going to love me no matter what, right? Theoretically, if, if they're my real friends. So that was kind of in a way like a pivotal moment where I decided and sort of succumbed to God nudging on my heart and tugging me along and saying, okay, I'm going to give this Christianity a try. I'm going to live it um, and see how it goes. And so yeah, it's been a beautiful ride ever since. Haven't really looked back. Went to college pursuing the campus ministry at my college and really had a beautiful experience there with some amazing deep friendships and really growing and deepening my faith there. So praise be to God. 
Yeah. And the Bible verse that comes to mind, just as you're sharing the different ways that your youth minister was appealing to yourself and the youth group is, and I forget where in scripture, I know it's in the gospels, but you know, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but he loses his soul. And I love that juxtaposition of how you're talking about having that beautiful experience um, in front of the Eucharist. And then something as simple as listening to music, you know, sometimes it just plays in the background and we don't even realize until you actually maybe tune in a little closer that there is something deeper there that might not totally align. And even right in that moment, there was already a little bit of maybe Jesus, like you're saying, kind of tugging at your heartstrings and being like, you know, you were meant for so much more, even though, yes, music, it can be so innocent and passing. Right. Yeah. But that's so beautiful just to see how he's really pursued you, you know, little bit by little bit. And it just, again, reminds me of how he never forces or imposes, but really he allows for us to come into that relationship with him on our own freely and openly. Absolutely. I feel like that's the theme of my spiritual life a little bit. He's always so patient with me (laughs) until I figure it out. Um, Yeah. And not to say that, you know, music is evil or bad or any, anything like that. It was just, you know, I think how he spoke to me in that moment, it was just something that sort of unsettled and caught my attention. Maybe it was maybe a symbol of going back to an old life versus a new life or something like that. So, yeah. Now, you mentioned you went off to college, of course, and you pursued campus ministry, which I think is such a wonderful thing um, that you were able to do. And like, you know, thanks be to God that you were able to go to a place where there is that kind of community, because I feel like many times we go off to college and it can be that make or break moment, I feel like, to really commit and buckle down to continuing to follow God. Um, What was that experience like to be in college and be tempted by, of course, following your career passions and all the other things that were going on in your typical college experience, and then to find God in the midst of it all. You know, I really think that community in the campus ministry helped a lot. And I just had uh, an incredible roommate, you know, one of my best friends, she is a practicing Catholic also. So that I think in a certain way, you know, I was sort of buffered by some people around me that just sort of protected me, if you will, from finding myself in certain situations. But, you know, I was at a very secular university, um, lots of diversity of ideas and practices and minds out there. And I don't know if this is the culture of most colleges, but at least the college I went to, there's very much a culture of debate and open debate and ideas, you know, free speech areas and people protesting and you know, tabling and trying to get their messages out and everyone's constantly in dialogue all the time. I felt like (laughs) it was really kind of a trial by fire period of where all of a sudden, you know, somebody sees me standing at the Catholic table or Mm -hmm. praying for, you know, an end to abortion or something like that. And all of a sudden I'm getting questions and having to respond to these questions and getting in conversations with people. And so it was really this great opportunity to learn more about my faith. What are the explanations for it to provide those answers? And um, yeah. And so I think, I think having that really strong sense of community helped me to stay strong because when I had those moments where I was really nervous or worried, I had a group of people that I could go back to and just run a situation by them, ask their opinions, their thoughts, 
Mm. right? All of those things. And that sort of kept me going. If I had done it by myself, I don't know how I would have been able to get through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when you were in college, because I know that we're going to uh, segue into obviously your professional life and the work that you do. Did you go in with the intention of studying psychology and counseling or what was that trajectory like? Yeah. So growing up, I was kind of the kid that people would randomly share their stories with (laughs) without me (laughs) expecting it. (laughs) So, you know, we're hanging out at recess or something. And then all of a sudden I have a peer or a classmate opening up to me. And I was like, oh, I thought we were just hanging out. I wasn't expecting to hear about, you know, your family (laughs) situation. (laughs) So I think the Lord planted some seeds over time in that way, that that was a gift I learned that I had, you know, Probably around middle school, early high school was when I started getting an interest in psychology. Why do people do what they do? What is that about? So by the time I went to college, yeah, I was pretty set on wanting to pursue psychology. I wasn't sure what that looked like. And I actually wasn't aware that you would need further education after the bachelor's degree to become a psychologist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was something nobody told me, but <laughs> but that was the desire. Yeah, I just really was interested in it and thought it would be really fun to study, which I did, I did enjoy. Over time, my desires of what that would look like, that idea of journeying with people one-on-one in such an mm. intimate, personal way was really attractive to me. And I, I just really wanted to help people. And that seemed like a vision of how to do that. By the time I applied to graduate school in my counseling program, I was more focused on uh, marriage counseling and mm-hmm. helping the institution of marriage, you know, thinking about John Paul II and how he says, as the family goes, so goes the nation and the whole world with which we live. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of my motivation going into grad school of, well, if I can help marriages, if I can do one small thing to save one family or rebuild or connect, then that's impacting the culture in a larger mm-hmm. way. The reverberations for that are unseen. It was kind of a lot of in between that, but (laughs) more or less, yeah, I pretty much knew that that was what I wanted to do, but it didn't end up working out exactly the way I thought it would because I had to go to more schooling after. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love what you're talking about there, that motivation that you had to pursue this particular area of marriage counseling. And and I would assume that this maybe also feeds into family counseling as well. Mm -hmm. Just this idea that really our homes and our families are that first unit that can, you know, if we can really have a positive culture in the family that has dramatic impacts for how the culture is outside of us. And we can't expect to change the culture if we don't change first inside of us and then our immediate families. And this makes me want to jump back to something that you'd mentioned earlier about how your college, those early days during your undergrad, how there was so much dialogue and something like the culture of family is something that is very traditional, definitely Catholic for sure, in a time where divorce and many people point to like, okay, well, if you're not happy in the marriage, then what's the point? Just leave or take your love or your happiness somewhere else where you can maybe quote unquote thrive. So obviously very polarizing or different ways of approaching it. And I'm curious to know maybe earlier on, like you didn't necessarily have that focus of marriage right then and there, but how were you able to navigate 
maybe the culture that you were in at your university as well as reconciling that with your faith and what it is that you grew up learning? Yeah, um, you know, I think I just really had a beautiful gift to my parents and their own marriage of loving each other and loving my brother and I growing up. And so I think because of their example, it was very easy for me in a sense, you know, once the Lord came knocking, (laughs) you know, I think it was very easy for me to believe in a God who is loving just Mm -hmm. because of my parents' example and to accept that. And I watched a lot of pain of my friends growing up when their parents divorced. And it was awful to see Mm -hmm. them go through that, to see their siblings and the changes that happened after their parents' divorce. And, you know, as a child, you're wishing you could do something more to help and not much I could do at that time except be a friend. And so learning over time that not everybody gets that same experience to grow up. And so I think Mm -hmm. that was part of my motivation was what can I do to sort of help children be able to have that gift and that experience? Because it is painful. It's really hard. And I did go to secular therapy counseling program. At least in my program, they were very good about having a multicultural dimension to the program. Mm -hmm. And so looking at all of those angles of the families we work with, the clients that we work with, and how can we connect with their worldview to help bring about their healing. So for example, you know, just as an extreme example, if I were to go to some remote village on the plains of Australia or something, (laughs) if I come in with my American U.S. worldview and like start judging them of how their behaviors and actions are, that's really, you know, kind of ridiculous (laughs) and um, kind of conceited in a sense and not helpful to the client. They're not going to be willing Mm -hmm. to make changes. And so it's similar, you know, even if somebody right down the street from me and maybe culturally we might be similar there's still things about how they grew up beliefs and values that everyone holds that we should be able to pay attention to and be aware of as therapists to help our clients find the healing they need or whatever it is mental health wise that they're looking for but i will say um there was still a lack there you know especially for approaching relationship counseling i was not getting that same trumpet blast, if you will, of, you know, save all the marriages (laughs) for the better of the culture. Um, I mean, that's kind of our role as therapists. That's our desire. But I think in the field, there are people who take different philosophies around that. I've heard of many therapists who have recommended for people to get divorced. And then I've heard of others who don't believe it's their place to say that and that they let client come to their own, a couple come to their own decision. And so there's like a whole lot of options in between there. So yeah, all that to say is, I think it really depends on you as an individual and how you would approach your work with a family. And just speaking of approach, I mean, like you said, you did your undergrad, you went on to do more school and thanks be to God, like here you are, you made it through all the schooling. And I'd love to hear how you came to start your personal practice, you know, what those early years were like. And obviously, I would assume that given that it's your practice, you have a lot of say and control as to how you want to go about working with clients, your personal philosophies, your approaches to counseling and the different areas. So yeah, what was that like to finally start your own practice? Oh yeah, that was uh, quite an adventure for sure. <laughs> yeah, I spent um, a lot of time doing different types of work. I worked for agencies, I'm doing home-based therapy for families with children in crisis. So we were just sort of there 
working in a home, helping kids be able to stay in their home, not need a higher level of care, like residential treatment or something like that. I worked in inpatient hospitalization settings. I worked in a high school for a few years. And so I think it was about the time I was in the high school, I had some colleagues who were doing private practice themselves and they were kind of saying, hey, Regina, you ever thought about this? You should try it. And for some reason in my mind, I had envisioned, you know, that would be something I do down the road when I'm like 50, 60 years old, about to retire. Mm -hmm. And I've like accumulated all this wisdom and wealth of knowledge. And then you have the right to open up a private practice or something. That was kind Mm -hmm. of like my random belief in my head about that. (laughs) And so I just had some people just saying, you should try it. So that last year I was in the high school, I decided to do it on the side um, and just Mm -hmm. see clients in the evenings and just sort of test the waters and see if I really liked it. But I'll I'll agree with you. I think all throughout those years and those other places that I worked, there was a desire to be able to be more open about the faith in my counseling. So especially when I was with those agencies before, there were people who I knew were people of faith and I was even afraid to broach that or, you know, say, hey, me too, or just have that conversation just because of my secular training and wondering, is that appropriate to include that? So it's really been like a several year process of me becoming more comfortable with having those conversations with people. And then when I was in the high school, that, that was a Catholic high school. So it was a lot easier to talk about the faith in that setting. So there was a journey of becoming more comfortable with that and getting an opportunity to test the waters. And that was appealing, you know, the idea of private practice and being able to say, well, there's nobody who's going to fire me necessarily (laughs) for, uh, (laughs) if I were to mention anything openly Catholic about it. Um, But even then there was still some fears of what would my colleagues locally, you know, the people I went to school with, what would they think? Would they be a perception of my level of professionalism, because we are taught not to impose our beliefs on anyone. And so would they have a question about how far am I crossing that line? Am I crossing that line a little bit too far? Hmm. So that year that I was in the school and just sort of testing the waters, I ended up loving it and being more excited about it. And so by the end of that school year, I knew that it was something worth trying and decided to try the private practice thing full time. And so the Lord has just sort of blessed that ever since. And yeah, it's it, even in the private practice, it's been a journey of integrating the Catholicism more and more into my practice. But I just feel like it's been me being realistic and accepting mm-hmm. the reality of who I am and being okay with that <laughs> and just giving myself permission to to live that life because it's really hard to do therapy and trying to separate that Catholic worldview because it's just everything I am and everything that I live for by this point. And so it's really hard to pretend like that doesn't exist and only focus Mm -hmm. on secular things. It's so intertwined at this point that I really cannot not do it. (laughs) So I felt like in a way it was easier for me to embrace that and I think it's ultimately better for the people that I work with because I'm being my more authentic self than trying to section or wall parts off. So, And as someone who has gone to secular therapists, I think the reverse is true for someone who's on the um, in the other chair, the client chair, so to speak. Yeah. You know, just exactly what you're saying, having to either section off parts of my identity, like my Catholic identity, 
Or even sometimes like I found that I would spend a lot of time in the session explaining or catechizing even. And, you know, that's not to say that it was bad and that the therapists that I had were bad, not at all. The the secular therapists that I had were wonderful. And I really appreciated their willingness to go that distance with me, even if it was something that was way out of their comfort zone. But certainly having Catholic counselors or Catholic therapists like yourself really is a gift because like you're saying, you're able to be your whole self and you're able to really bring together this area of faith and having that great sense of the catechism and the wisdom of the church while also bringing in your own training and the many years of hard work that you've put in to study. Like that's so important to be able to integrate the two. And I really don't think that they should be or need to be separate. Um, Of course, within reason, depending on, like you were mentioning earlier, who the client is and who you're working with. Right. But if you are working with Catholic clients, I feel like having that base level of understanding and shared experience is so wonderful. And I can't begin to thank all these Catholic counselors and Catholic therapists out there that do what you do. So thank you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree about the not having to translate jargon. I had a client once, you know, tell me, she's like, oh, I was reading the Diary of St. Faustina the other day. And then she stops, kind of panics, and she says, you know what that is, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, go ahead. You're good. Like, <laughs> So just little moments like that, you know, where you, re- you can just sort of be free and not have to worry as much. It's a nice perk, I guess. <laughs> hmm Yeah. And alongside this work that you do in private practice, like obviously you spend time seeing clients and that must take up a big chunk of your day. But I also want to dive into this fact that you do so much additional work in the digital sphere. So you're very active on Instagram and you do a lot of outreach and education that way. And I know that you also have just started a podcast connecting out loud. Mm. So You know, aside from, of course, those private and intimate encounters that you have with people, how you're journeying with them, you're also journeying with a greater community. And that's one of the beautiful things of the digital sphere is being able to connect with people, not just immediately in your own area, but elsewhere, wherever people are finding you. So what inspired that for you to go more public, so to speak? Yeah, that was that was a journey in and of itself, too, because I think in our training, we're taught to keep things very private and always being mindful and aware of not letting our own personal selves get in the way of our clients healing process. And so sometimes if I'm too focused on myself, I can't be mentally and emotionally available for my client. And so that was a tough thing to navigate through of, well, am I being too personal if I'm on social media and Does that make it not look professional? And so any therapist hearing me talk will probably (laughs) be able to (laughs) uh, sympathize with that a little bit. But I think the real desire and motivation was just to find a way to help more people. (laughs) And if like, okay, I can sit with one person for one hour and talk with them, but there's hundreds of people around, you know, the world, thousands, whoever, (laughs) that also need healing, that also need ways Mm -hmm. to find peace. And in a particular way in the church, I feel like there's a awakening desire to have more conversations around mental health in the church. I feel like there's this new wave coming in, which is kind of exciting, Um, but I feel like it's so necessary and so needed I feel like we are limited. We don't know how to have those conversations in the same way some secular institutions do. And so just that desire to 
help people within the church be able to have those conversations of normalizing mental health and just being able to destigmatize it in a way. Yeah. So helping as many people as possible is kind of the, <laughs> the desire. Yeah. Yeah. And just off of that point, like destigmatization and really bringing in our faith and being able to have those open and frank conversations, because I'm sure you would agree that it's difficult to admit sometimes that, yeah, like I suffer from depression or I have anxiety, I have panic attacks. I know that it is very challenging to integrate that into our faith or at least like have that conversation openly with other people even though our church is very good at talking about suffering and the necessity of it and talking about that maybe like if you have any yeah maybe some encouragement for listeners who might be uh you know experiencing whatever it is that they're experiencing but they don't know how to voice it or even they feel scared about bringing it forward to someone that they trust in their community or even just sharing that with other people seeking help. Um, yeah, any advice or encouragement that you might have for them? Yeah, I think a lot of questions that I hear sometimes about this is, you know, people wondering, does this reflect on my faith in God? Do I not have a good enough faith in God? I have anxiety, I'm experiencing depression, and I've been praying and I've been doing all of these sacrifices and doing all these things and it's not getting any better. And so that must be something wrong with me and my faith. Hmm. And so I'm here to tell you that is absolutely untrue. That is a complete lie <laughs> from the enemy. And these are real, actual, physical, medical situations for a lot of people. And I know we don't often think of that that way, but I, yeah, any encouragement to say that your fears, your concerns, your experiences are legitimate and they are happening alongside your faith or in addition to your faith. It doesn't mean that it's a reflection on your faith by any means. And so please don't be afraid. I guess a way to potentially reach out, that can be a big challenge, but social media could potentially be a way if there's somebody you're following, like a Catholic therapist on some level, just sort of asking, how do I find someone in my area? How do I, you know, steps on what to do if you would feel more comfortable having that conversation privately? But ideally, somebody you already like, know, and trust would be the best way who you can trust with that information, who you know won't judge you anymore after that, but also somebody who hopefully will give you a response that doesn't make you feel like you are lacking in faith or you did something wrong. Or, you know, sometimes people are well-meaning and well-intentioned and they just say like, oh, you know, God will take care of everything and they don't realize that somebody who might be experiencing anxiety or depression receive that as a judgment or as shame. So being mindful about who is somebody I would share this with that I hopefully would get a response that isn't going to cause me more anxiety in that. So just those might be two ways I would say. Thank you. Yeah, that's, it's such a good encouragement. And I think, you know, even for someone like myself, having gone through years of therapy now, it's always such a refreshing reminder. So I just appreciate you saying that and just being so open and, and candid about that. Because I think like you're saying many times, we fear that it is a reflection of our faith in God or our Catholicity or how good of a Catholic we are or should be. So yeah, just to have that reminder is, is really wonderful. So thank you. I was wondering if maybe just as we look at, you know, your own, your life, your practice and 
uh, the ways in which God has called you to share of yourself and share of your wisdom and your gifts with other people, how you've seen your personal feminine genius grow and develop through this time. Oh man, um, that is a tough one. I, you know, I was thinking about John Paul II's letter to women and how he talks about Mary being the ultimate example of feminine genius. When I was reflecting on his words, I sort of thought about humility. She's a great example of humility. And within the past year, sometime during this whole pandemic, whenever this started, obviously we're all online a lot more. I came across something from Bishop Barron about Mm -hmm. humility. And I really, really loved the way he worded it. A lot of times people mistakenly think humility is talking downward about someone's self. Oh, I'm not that great in this. And he said, you know, that's part of it to get us to a place to be receptive to another stage, which is accepting who you really are. That could be good and bad, being aware of who you truly are and what, what that means. And so, you know, I've, I heard a priest once say humility is being able to receive a compliment. Somebody's like, oh, wow, you have such a good singing voice or something. And you actually saying thank you, as opposed to, oh, no, you know, oh, this outfit, whatever. I, you know, wear this a hundred times or something. And so that stays with me. I think that throughout my faith journey, I think the Lord is constantly reminding me and showing me that he just wants me. There's nothing extra that I need to do to just continue to step into being who I truly am and trying to see myself the way he sees me. That's beautiful. Thank you. And Regina, thank you for what you do for the church, what you do for the mental health community and, you know, other folks like you. Uh, It really is, like I said earlier, such a blessing to interact with Catholic counselors and therapists and other psychology professionals that have that common ground of the Catholic faith. So thank you. I was wondering if you could close us in a prayer as we end off this episode. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, we um, thank you for being here with us now. ask that you, Holy Spirit, come into this space. And Lord, anyone who is in need of your healing, Holy Spirit, that you can go and be with them now and surround them with your love, your truth. Help them to be aware of your presence. Lord, give them your reassuring and healing grace in this time in those places that are full of fear, of darkness, of anxiety, of doubt. Lord, just fill all of those crevices with your light and your love. We ask for the grace to continue to be open uh, to your healing to be open to your will and to be more receptive to your love. And Mother Mary, we ask for your intercession as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Regina, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. 
thank you again to Regina Boyd for joining me on the Feminine Genius podcast today. As we mentioned in the episode, Regina does a lot of work on social media as well as her private practice. You can find her on Instagram at Boyd Counseling Services and learn more about the work that she does on her website, reginaboyd.com. I've left links to these in the episode description below. You can stay up to date with the Feminine Genius Podcast by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at FemGeniusPod. And you can listen to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and many other platforms. All this information can be found on our website, FeminineGeniusPodcast.com. We'll talk to you soon, and God bless always.